Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Romans 6, 1 through 14. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Romans in your Bible. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you, Sam. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, we started last week with this series on Romans that we're going to go for, for quite a while, and we started in chapter 5, and we said at the very, very beginning that the first four chapters of Romans deals with kind of Paul's understanding of what it means for us to be justified. That's a good churchy word, and it means to be, to be pardoned or to be made right uh, with God. And so uh, we said that he's working this all out, and... Uh, he, he makes this point, though, that God's work to justify us, to pardon us, costs him something. Uh, justification is a legal term, and uh, normally you have a judge or someone who's accused, and if a judge wants to pardon someone, there's no real relationship that occurs between the judge and the person being pardoned. Like, he doesn't necessarily speak ill of the person, he doesn't necessarily like him. But that's not the way it is with with God and us. God enters into a relationship with us when he justifies us or pardons us or makes us into right relationship with him. Our ability to be free, uh, to be in right relationship with God, uh, is more than just a judge and a defendant. It is one of, and we'll get to this later uh, in a couple of weeks, one of father and child. And we said, we said there were a couple of things that happened that are results of God's justification for us. So justification comes through Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his ascension and his coming again, all of that. And there are a couple of things. One, we said that because we have been justified, we've been pardoned, we've come in right relationship with God, 
that we have been invited into, we have access for all of time to the presence of God. We said that this access is not like the access you get like to share a shared document at work or like your Wi-Fi password, right? But that it is an invitation to go into the presence of God, to pull up a chair and take a seat and dwell there for a long time. The word uh, uh, access kind of talks about being standing in a steadfastness in the presence of God. So we're invited in, but we're also, um, well, well, first of all, actually, I missed this one. We're given peace with God. That's part of that. Like that God does no longer considers us enemies. We, we, are not, uh, we are not war with God, at least as far as God is concerned. Uh, that God will always and forever look at us as if we are his beloved children, even when you and I are unfaithful and unworthy. Uh, the next thing Paul says is he says, he says this, and I kind of prayed about this in the prayer. He said, uh, at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and we unpacked that a little bit and said that really uh, the, the grammar of that particular passage, it, it's not a past tense, while we were sinners, but it's a present continuous. It means that it could be translated like this. Uh, it's not while you were, but while you were and you continue to be weak and ill and sinful. Paul's pointing out the radical nature of God's salvation for us. The fact that God gives us peace and enters into a relationship even though he knows that there's better, average, better than average chance that you and I are going to continue to be not as strong and as faithful as we could be. And he ends up saying, hey, if God is going to love us this much while we were terrible people, if he's going to be for us while we were sinners, how much more so is he going to be faithful and for us as we are trying to live the power of the Spirit in right relationship with him and with others? And it calls his friends in Romans, in the Rome, Church of Rome, to boast about these things. They're not to boast about themselves or like what they have earned in salvation, but they are boast, to boast about what God has done. It's a mode of proclamation, sharing the good news, uh, preaching, if you will. And it is something to which we are all, every last one of us, called because of the good things that God has done for us. Well, today's passage continues uh, Paul's general frame of thought. And he begins with with this question. Uh, Well, actually, I get 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 ahead of myself here. We skipped a little bit of section at the end of chapter 5. And he goes on to say, uh, that makes a comparison between Adam, Adam and Eve, and Jesus. And he says, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, so grace and righteousness and forgiveness enters the world through one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's, he's being extremely clear about how all of this begins to happen. He also says that the law exposed our sinfulness. Uh, it showed all of the things that, that are wrong with us, and and some people will, we'll, we'll address this in a couple of weeks. Uh, some people look really, really down on the law. They take Paul to mean that the law is like just totally bad. Uh, Paul will make an argument though that the law is good, though it got corrupted and co-opted by sinful humanity. Anyway, he says, so if the law exposes our sin and our sin increases, he says, grace increases even more. So then he asks this question, because I think he's, 
Well, I think he understands what his, his friends might be thinking. He says, what then are we to say? Should we continue to sin in order that God's grace may abound? If the law brought about sinfulness and it made it even more, that we are even more sinful, but God's grace increased even in the midst of that, then shouldn't we continue to sin? Because, well, then God will give us more and more grace. Uh, I, that might make sense in some argument. But Paul, he, he uh, by no means, I don't think, uh, captures the, the strength of Paul's no to this. Uh, he responds to that question, by no means. It's absolutely not. Under no circumstances should that be the case. And we're going we're gonna to look at why, why he thinks that here in a minute. And they ask this question, how can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Now, if you've been around the church a while, uh, you maybe have heard this phrase, died to sin or dead to sin. I, don't know, I heard it a lot growing up. You may not have. I don't know. Uh, but but it's, not, it's not like a, a mortal, fleshly person you died. You don't, we're not dying in our actual body to sin. Uh, but it's a way of saying that, that, de- that sin uh, to us is, uh, well, it's like when you say to somebody who, who's really upset you and you want, no, you want to deal with them no longer and you might say to them, you are dead to me. Uh, maybe you say that in jest to someone. I hope you haven't said that to like anybody in, in real life, right? Because that would be kind of sad. Well, but that's the attitude Paul thinks that we can take towards sin. It's because of everything that Jesus has done, uh, because of all of that, God is through the power of the Spirit giving us the ability to say to sin, you're dead to me. I don't have to deal with you. Well, I have to deal with you but your power over me is less and less and less. Well, he, he goes on, and then he says, uh, he's, this is where we're going to talk about baptism. A- and he's going to make an argument here. He's, he's defining kind of how it comes about that we are dead to sin. Verse 4, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him by his baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Now, um, we have a good time with baptism. And it's a joyous occasion for us. We, we roll out that uh, baptistry. I fill it too full of water. And Jesse Berg causes a tidal wave that flashes all over the place. And, and we celebrate, you know, the... the person that is baptized comes up out of the water and we are excited and we clap and it's just a joyous, joyous occasion. But Paul, for Paul, the dominant image of baptism is death. Now, when I baptize people, I I lay them down in the water nice and gently and I pull them up really quickly so that they're not, you know, panicked for being underwater. Um, I don't hold them down until they can't breathe, or they think they can't breathe, right? Uh, but I think if we look at death, and we, we maybe put that over our, our joyful image of baptism, here's what I think Paul wants us to think about what's happening in baptism. You and I, uh, there is an old person in us, our old way of life, 
before we ever begin to follow Jesus. And that old person, uh, not like old as in age, right? But as in previous, is full of sin, is sick, is unwell, is not at all the person that God has created us to be. Paul says that when we begin to follow Christ, when we enter into that relationship, when, when we become justified or pardoned, forgiven for our sins, like we, we begin this journey with Christ. And in our baptism, we are, we are confessing and declaring that, that we, are, we want to be as close and, and together with Christ as we very possibly can be. But that old part of us, uh, the old us, gets in the way. So what Paul is saying is that you and I, we have been buried, buried or buried, I don't know. I, my family makes fun of me. She's, she, she just rolled her eyes at me. She corrects my pronunciations all the time. Anyway, they, we get dug in a hole and thrown in there, whatever that word is, with Christ. Uh, like, and and we, that part of us dies. So I want you to have this image in your head. Uh, it is as if Paul is imagining you and I in our baptism. We go down under that water. We don't come back up right away. But we get held down, and this is a terrible image, but it's what, I, it's, it's what I've thought about all week. But that we kick and scream until we are dead. Until the life has gone out of our old, sinful self. I have to say that, that maybe this sounds overly simplistic, simplistic. And that it might feel like, well, I've been baptized, but there's still sin that I struggle with. And I think that is the case. I think that what happens as we begin this journey, as we are, as we are baptized, as we die to sin, it is, it, is an active, it is an active and continuous journey that we, we die with Christ. That is the beginning of our death. And we are begin to be free from the grip of sin in our life. So, it's a metaphor. All metaphors break down, right? But he goes so far, like, you don't bury people unless you're for sure that they're dead, right? Like, I think in the Middle Ages, I learned in a history class in high school that at, at one point, um, they couldn't, they weren't always great at telling whether someone was actually dead or if they were like in a coma. And so they would actually bury people with a string that went into their coffin and a bell that was on the outside so that if they woke up, they, would, they could, you know, in a panic, ring the bell and someone would hear and come and dig them up because they weren't quite dead yet. It's kind of like that scene from Monty Python in the quest from the Holy Grail. Like, I'm not dead yet. Yeah, anyway, it's a great, terrible movie, but. Paul's, Paul's driving us home. He's like, not only we haven't just died with Christ. Our sinfulness hasn't just died with him, but we have been, we've been buried as well. But as you and I know, every, and we celebrate this every Easter, hopefully we celebrate this every Sunday, that our faith is a resurrection faith. 
Like, like that we confess every Sunday that, that death and sin has not been able to have the last word, that it, is, that it is not what has no final hold over Jesus Christ, but that he was raised from the dead never ever to die again. We have been buried with him by his baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. In our baptism, we, we, our old sinfulness dies. It's buried. But we were raised to, to new life and resurrection and share in Christ's resurrection. And I think that has two, two aspects to it. One, it's here and now. We, we raise to a new life filled with the, the love of God. And we go forth, and as he says, to walk in a, new, a newness of life, a new path of life where we are not dominated by sin. And I think it's, uh, well, it's in the future, right? Uh, we're all going to die at some point. I know for you younger ones, that may be hard to understand. But we're going to die, but that's not the end. Paul is confessing here that, that we will share in Christ's resurrection. We will be raised to new life, whole and complete, to share life with God, that access we have been granted for all of time, for the rest of time. He goes on, he says, For you, if you have been united with him in death like his, he will certainly, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, this word united, and, and kids, this is kind of what I'm talking about. So, so listen, I'm going I'm to tell you, this is what I want you to listen about. The word united is not, well, it's not just kind of a generic united. It's not united the way like we might be as a community or as a country when there's a disaster, uh, where there's war or where there's a, a, you know, a tornado or a hurricane or floods. Those kinds of things have a tendency to, to bring us together, to unite us in a purpose cause. It's not the same kind of united as like an, an athletic team. A sports team might be uh, as they are making their way towards the championship. The word Paul uses here has a, well, it, it kind of has a biological uh, flavor to it, if you will. It, it, means, it means to kind of be entangled and enmeshed together. And I think there, there are two images that describe this. It's like you might have cut yourself really bad, like I did one time when I was a kid. I was washing the dishes, uh, as we were told to do. My sisters and I have two older sisters. We had a rotation of things. I was terrible at washing dishes. My sisters would dry them, and they would give me the dirty ones back after I didn't. And I would get done, and I would have water all over my shirt. And not much has changed today when I do the dishes at home. Lori gives me back the dirty ones that I missed, and I've got water all over my shirt. Well, anyway, one day I was washing dishes, and I had a, you know, a dish rag, and I stuck my hand into a glass to clean the inside of it. And I must have been growing, because I could do this before, but at this particular time, the glass shattered, and it cut my finger. I've got to be careful with that one. Right there. And yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> and uh, it's a nice little C shape. And like the, the flesh was pulled back. And we didn't go to the doctor for a whole lot. I mean, you had to be in a bad way for us to go to the doctor. And apparently, I don't remember much. 
uh, it must have been in a bad way. And so we went to the doctor, and I got a couple of stitches and a little brace so I couldn't bend my finger because it's right on the knuckle. You know, bend that thing and pop it right open. It'd be bad. Amazing thing happens. I go back to the doctor a couple weeks later, and they take it off, and they take the stitches out, and the two halves of my finger have been molded back together. Like, this is part of the uniting, I think, that Paul's image is using. It's like two pieces of flesh that have been severed and been cut, that have been brought apart. But through the miracle of the body, like those pieces of flesh grow back together and they, they entangle and twine back together and they are stronger than it was in the first place. Paul is saying that we have been united with Christ in the same way that two pieces of severed flesh grow back together to share in the life-giving blood of the body. Or it's like this. I didn't want to show pictures of that one because when I Googled like scars and things like that, it was bad. And I, I didn't figure you'd want to see that. But this next example I think you can handle. It's grafting. I've got a friend uh, that we knew in St. Louis and he liked to grow all sorts of things. Uh, and he had trees in his front yard and his backyard and, and he would do some of this. He would take a, a branch of like a pear tree and he would graft it onto the trunk of another tree, like an apple tree. And so you get multiple fruits from one tree, I think. I think that's how that works. Uh, but this is the other image that Paul uses. You, you can do this. You can take a branch and you can graft it onto another tree and that tree will grow around that branch and it will intertwine and intermix and you will have a branch that will be able to bear fruit. I think for us, our being united with Christ is if you and I were a branch and we were living on the tree of sin and death and the fruit that we were bearing because of the, the toxic and lethal sludge, the sap that runs through that tree, that we were producing fruit that was misformed and misshapen and foul-tasting. And Christ comes along and he cuts us off of that tree, and he brings them over to his cells, and he, he grafts us into his trunk. And over time, we begin to, to be united, enmeshed, entangled with Christ, so that you and I, that we share in the life-giving, sin-resisting sap of God's Holy Spirit. We, we die. We're buried with Christ. We're united with him. Because we've been united with him in such a significant way that we get to grow and, and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And I missed one, I'm sure of it but that we are able to go into the world then. We're able to go out and the sin that used to have dominion over us, that used to hold us in bondage, we are able to say to it, you are dead to me. Now, uh, again, this might seem overly simplistic. You might say, well, if that's the case, 
if, if we've been united with Christ in our baptism in that way, if we have the, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to be dead to sin, like I, I just, like I'm not experiencing that all the time. I, I don't think that, that well, I, I don't think Paul expects that to be the case. I don't think Paul is saying, get baptized, you pray, you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, you're never going to sin again. That's not what Paul's saying. What I think he is saying is I think that he's saying, now that you've been united with Christ, you do not have to be in bondage and slavery to sin. That you are free from it if, if you remain a branch grafted to the trunk of Jesus Christ. I think this, this means that we have some participation that we do in this. Uh, otherwise, I don't think that he would say this towards the end of the passage. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their pa- uh, passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. By the way, instruments is really kind of weapons. So we have, we have a choice to make every day. It's whether we are going to present ourselves to sin and wickedness as something to be used by it in the cosmic battle of good and evil. Or we can present ourselves to Christ and continue our, our feeding off his life-giving substance and be used as a tool of righteousness, of spreading justice and mercy and love and faithfulness all throughout our world. I think, I think what this passage, what Paul really, really wants us to know here, I think he wants us to know that that we have a part to play in our own we use this word, in our own sanctification. Our being made holy. Our being like, growing into the likeness of Christ. That God has done the majority of the work for us. He he has pardoned us. He has justified us. He has given himself in love to us. He has made it so that we could be entangled and entwined with him and to receive his life-giving love and his Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity to say yes or to say no. And I think that this is an opportunity that we have to have every single day. Every single day we get out of bed and we say, I have been, I have been baptized. I've been buried with Christ. I have, I have died to sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ has raised me to newness of life. He has grafted me into him and I am, I am his child and I am being fed by him so that I can go and walk in newness of life. I think a lot of times we decide that we can do that by ourselves. 
And the sheer reality is that we cannot. As we go further in the book of Romans, it will be abundantly clear that what Paul knows beyond a shadow of a doubt is that for you and I to be the people that God wants us to be, that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us every single day. So I hope this week, I want you to do this every morning. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It's just whether you've, well, if you haven't been baptized, I'd like to make that happen sometime soon. But if you have been baptized, if you've been on this journey a long time, I want you to remember your baptism. I've been, I've been crucified with Christ. I am dead to sin. I feed off the life-giving nutrition of God's Holy Spirit to help me to walk in newness of life to be dead to sin. And I want you to confess that and I want you to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Help me to be dead to sin today. If, if you do this and you feel even more sinful, I think that's okay. Because as I said before, I think I said this last week, that if you are becoming more and more aware of your sinfulness, that means that God is working in your life. And it's an opportunity to confess that to die to it and to move forward in newness of life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your gift of life. We thank you that you have sent your son to be, to be our salvation. That you have engulfed us, you have entangled us with yourself that you are in the process of replacing that toxic sap that was flowing through us as we were a part of the tree of, of evil and sinfulness. We thank you that you have grafted us onto yourself and that we now share in the Holy Spirit and, and are able to go out and bear good fruit. Lord, each week today, each day today, this week, May we confess what you have done for us. May we own that, that we are being transformed into your likeness. And may we ask you again each day for fresh strength, fresh power to confront sin and be able to say to it, you are dead to me. So that we might walk each day evermore in greater and greater newness of life. We confess that we cannot do these things on our own. So we ask that your, that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. That it may be done in us as it was in Christ. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.